Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Well, we're going to be in the book of Philippians here this morning, and uh, today we're going to start a new journey as uh, we're going to work our way through uh, the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is uh, just really amazing in, in the sense of uh, the message the, uh, the book gives. And, uh, you know, in light of some of the most recent events that are going, in, going on in our country, um, I think it's a good reminder to bring our focus back to the Word of God, right? Um, and by the way, uh, any children that like to go downstairs, you are dismissed. If you'd like to go, just follow the children want to go. You can head on down there. But uh, it's always a good reminder to bring our focus back to the Word of God, right? The Word of God is what should be shaping our thinking. The Word of God should be uh, the, the anchor which allows us to think biblically, about uh, things that, that happen. And uh, I believe if we're not careful, we can be, we can be sucked into uh, to, to a culture. We can be sucked into uh, a, a certain type of, of world, uh, worldly thinking. Um, our joy can be sucked out of us because we're, we're feeding on things that, uh, uh, that might be going on. And we, we sometimes really forget to renew uh, that, that inner man uh, to renew our minds uh, throughout the word of God. And so the book of Philippians speaks to our life and uh, it reminds us of joy, it reminds us of unity, it reminds us of the fulfillment that we can have in Jesus Christ. And uh, I just wanna give you a little bit background here about the book of Philippians and then we'll uh, take a look at a couple of verses uh, primarily um, in the book as far as uh, what God has to say about where this joy is found, where we can find uh, true joy. And so, you know, it, it's a custom that, that Paul wrote this book uh, while he was in prison, while he was sitting in a prison cell. And uh, he wrote this book and it just overflows with joy. I mean, think about Paul's circumstances, right? Uh, he's in prison. Probably, I'm sure he probably didn't have cable TV, probably didn't have, uh, you know, all the luxuries. Uh, you know, probably he didn't get let out because of the coronavirus, you know. Um, he, he was in dire circumstances, and yet he wrote out of joy for this, uh, for this church. Now, how did the book, how did the uh, church of Philippians uh, really begin? Where, how did this church of Philippi uh, find its origin? Well, when you take a look throughout the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 40, you can see how this church began. And uh, we find Paul here as he's going on his second missionary journey, he has this vision and uh, this vision compels him to go uh, and to take the gospel, uh, it sends him to Macedonia and there's this man of Macedonia in this vision that's calling for Paul to say, come over here and help, come over here and help. 
And uh, so Paul responds, the gospel goes west, and uh, really the first place where it goes is in Philippi. And so Paul finds a place there in Philippi. He begins to preach the gospel. Um, he, he stays there several days, Acts chapter 16, 12. Uh, what Paul finds there is people who are worshiping the emperor. They're bowing their knee to the emperor, uh, Julius, Augustus, Claudius. Um, he finds people there that are worshiping the Egyptian gods, Isis and uh, Seraphis. And uh, they're, they're worshiping all kinds of deities. And so what does Paul do? He preaches the gospel. He gives people the truth. And uh, while he's there, he speaks to women. Uh, he finds some women there, uh, specifically one whose name was Lydia. Uh, she's a, a seller of, of fine linen, fine purple cloths. More than likely, she was a woman of, of, uh, of wealth. Um, from what we understand as we read through God's word, uh, she probably more than likely opened her home to Paul and Paul was allowed to uh, uh, use her home as a way for believers to come and meet there and they uh, preached the gospel there. Um, we find that as Paul speaks to this woman, uh, uh, Lydia, that uh, she becomes a, a believer in Christ and so well as well does her family. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, 16 through 18, Paul encounters a slave girl who uh, she had this ability, uh, she was possessed by, by a demon and the, uh, the, her owners uh, were using her as a means to get rich. They were using her so that she could uh, tell the future and Paul preaches the gospel to this, uh, uh, to this slave girl and she becomes, she, she uh, trusts Christ. She, uh, the, the demon leaves her and really it puts a financial strain on her owners now. And so what do they do? They take Paul and they uh, take him and Silas and they uh, bring him before the magistrates there. They beat him. They uh, uh, put him in prison. They flog him. Uh, beaten with a stiff rod like a caning and they're there in prison and what happens? They're singing, they're praising God, uh, they're praying and what happens? A great earthquake uh, comes, their chains fall off, the doors, the doors to the prison open and uh, you'd think Paul would be running out of there, right? Yay! But no, what does he do? He stays there and he preaches the gospel even to that uh, jailer there. And uh, that man, along with his house, from what we understand, becomes a believer. So this is really the beginning of the church uh, in Philippi of, of how Paul went about and did it and preached the gospel to them. And so Paul is now writing to this church while in prison, and he's really thanking them for a gift that they sent to Paul. I mean, so here he is, he's in prison and he receives a gift and now he's writing to them, thanking them for that gift and it's just overflowing with joy while Paul is there in prison. And I mean, listen to how Paul, how he thinks about them in Philippians 1.7. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. He held them dear in his heart. He, he loved these people. He cared about them. He labored with them to give them the gospel. And so knowing of Paul's circumstances as he's writing from a prison cell, he, however, has chosen not to allow his circumstances to dictate 
how he thought about life, about what controlled his thinking and how he reacted in his situations. Paul had learned the secret as, uh, as he said in uh, Philippians uh, chapter four, verse number 12, uh, Paul says this, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul had learned the secret of how to be content no matter the circumstances. So what was Paul's secret? How did he figure this out? Well, it was where he found joy. Not so much in what, but who. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Find joy in knowing and serving Christ. Find joy in knowing and serving Christ. Christ. Let's take a look here at the first couple of verses. So number one, if we are going to find joy, number one, you need to be a slave of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes here in his first uh, opening statement here to this letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Isn't it interesting that the very first words uh, penned out here are that Paul identifies himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, here we are as an apostle. He didn't say, here we are as the guy that's going to come in here and get the job done. No, what does he identify himself? He identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. The word servant here means a slave, and it has its roots in Israel's servitude to Egypt. Uh, if you can remember back in the Old Testament when Pharaoh, uh, the children of Israel that were living there in the land of Goshen because of uh, Joseph had brought his family over there, the, the people multiplied greatly. God allowed that all to happen so that they are living in Egypt and there's a Pharaoh that arose that did not know Joseph, did not know what was going on and he sees the children of Israel waxing more and more and more and he's like, hey, look, man, we better do something about this. So what do they do? They put the children of Israel into slavery to build treasure cities for Pharaoh and so it has its... Uh, has its uh, uh, meaning from that. So when Paul refers to himself as the slave of Christ Jesus, he's referencing that he is the subordinate. He is the lower rung of the ladder. He was under the authority or control of another. He regarded himself as of lesser importance than someone else. In this case, he was the slave of Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible actually has a lot to say about slavery. In fact, God allowed slavery. When we talk about slavery, we might have certain images, pictures, or thoughts that might come to our minds. However, God had certain regulations and rules for anyone who had a slave. Slavery was allowed because it was a means for people to pay off debts. People placed themselves in slavery or a person was placed in slavery so that they would be able to pay off a debt. It was never a means by to which control somebody or place them into slavery to use them. 
That was never the way that God originally had intended it. What happened? Wicked men took God's word and they twisted it and they perverted it for their own purpose and means. In fact, the slave owner had to treat that slave with respect and take care of them. If they did not, if they did, not, if they, if they did something to that slave, harm the slave, hurt the slave, they were actually supposed to allow that slave to go free. Also, you had the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. And on that 50-year mark, all the slaves were to go free and all debts were to be canceled. So Paul identifies himself here and Timothy from the very get-go as slaves of Christ Jesus. Really, this is all how all of us as Christians really need to view ourselves. We need to view ourselves as slaves of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So to be a follower of Christ is to be a slave, not to your own lust, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want real joy, we need to get our priorities straight and realize that we are not our own, but belong to the Lord. We need to recognize and submit to Jesus as our master and owner. And he has the one, he is the one that has the right to command how and where we should live, how we spend our time and money, and even how we should think. You see, our entire life must be focused on pleasing him and doing his will as a slave. You see, the truth is before Christ, all of us, all of us were slaves to sin. All of us were. You see, as Romans points out to us so accurately that we were born into sin. We could not please God because of our sin. We could not do that which was right and we're slaves to our sin. We were born with a nature that is hostile toward God. We are so selfish that all we care about is pleasing ourselves. The debt and the wages of our sin that was, was amounting and we could never pay them in full. And the wage for that sin is ultimately death. I believe, sadly, many people don't realize their lost condition before a holy God. Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. That's John 8, 34. John 8, 36, Jesus said, if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Only Jesus Christ, by his substitutionary death, can set us free from bondage to sin. And Paul here is recognizing, saying, look, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He owns me. I worship him. I follow him. I obey him. And that's where Paul really found his joy. Once we are set free from the bondage of sin, we then can grow as a slave for Jesus Christ. Romans 6.22 says, but now freed from sin and enslaved to God, you have your benefit leading to sanctification and the end is eternal life. See, either you are enslaved to sin or you're enslaved to Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only two options. Either you're going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave 
to Jesus Christ. Romans 6, 16 says, do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, whom am I serving? Who are we serving? Are we really serving Jesus? Are we really being a slave for him? Do we really find our joy in Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are we trying to find our joy in other things that will not satisfy? Paul found his joy in knowing who Christ was and knowing that I am a slave of Jesus Christ. You see, in Paul's case, God's will for his life when he wrote Philippians was that he would be in chains in prison. Because Paul knew that he was a slave for Jesus, he really could have real joy. So be a slave of Christ. Look at the second thing here. Be a receiver of grace and peace. Be a receiver of grace and peace. Look what Paul writes here. Second verse, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This greeting that Paul uses here really helps us keep our focus on not only what's important as we live for Christ, but also a faithful reminder to us of where grace and peace really do come from. It only comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Grace and peace only come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is quite simply God's unmerited favor shown to those who deserve his judgment. If you earn it, it's not grace, but a wage that is due. God's grace is extended to the ungodly who know it, not to those who think they are deserving of it. Listen to what Romans 4, 4 through 5 says. Now to the one who works, his pay is not credited due to grace, but to obligation. But to the one who does not work, but believes in the one who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith is credited as righteousness. You see, God's grace is the only way to be reconciled to God. If you think you deserve a place in God's kingdom because you're a pretty good person, you don't understand and have not laid hold on God's grace. If you think things are right between you and God because you do good things for others and try to live a clean life, you have not grasped God's grace. You are, in fact, alienated from God. God resists the proud, those that think that they're deserving, but he gives grace to the humble. The only way to receive God's unmerited favor is to see yourself rightly as an undeserving sinner and call out for his grace. If you don't know grace, you don't know God. Very simply put. Notice the other word that is used here that Paul says. He says, peace. So grace to you and peace. Peace. You know, one of the slogans that perhaps you've been hearing over and over recently is what? No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. What kind of peace and justice are people really calling for? What do they want? What are they asking for? 
No justice, no peace. You see, the world has a very flawed idea of peace and justice. In fact, in end times, it will be peace that the Antichrist will rise up and call for. And all the nations of the world are going to gather around him and say, yes, this is what we've been wanting our entire life. But guess what? It's a false peace. It's not a real peace. You see, because we are fallen human beings, our perceptions of justice and peace can be deeply flawed. Even in our justice system, because we are sinners, the justice that is dispensed is not perfect justice. As Christians, we need to have a biblical worldview in regards to things like this. If we are to find true joy and unity and fulfillment, we must find it in Jesus Christ and not the world's way. The world is trying to solve a sin problem, but they're not going to solve it doing it the world's way. It only comes about through Jesus Christ. Make no bones about it. The world has a false peace. So what is the peace that Paul talks about here? Peace is the result of experiencing God's grace. The order is very important here. Look at this. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot know God's peace without first applying his grace. Where God's grace is lacking, peace will also be in short supply. Peace points to the inner well-being that comes from being reconciled to God through what he provided in Christ. You see, the answers that our world is seeking for is for peace. But again, they have a flawed misunderstanding of real peace because simply they do not know God. That's it. They have a hatred of God. They have dismissed him out of their lives. Our country has sown godless teaching and philosophies from the sexual revolution in the 60s to open shameful acts of homosexuality. And now we are seeing the results of all that we are living in. Take a look here just real quick with, with me in Romans chapter number one. We are living in a Romans chapter one age. Look what Paul says here, Romans chapter 1. Look at verse number 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We have been sowing godless teaching and godless philosophies and they are suppressing the truth of God. Look at verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. He then goes on to say, Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. We saw this in, our, in, the, uh, in the open uh, acceptance of homosexuality. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their heir. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Notice this, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, both grace and peace operate together. And if you don't know God, you do not know peace. That's it. And we're living in a, in a world, we're living in a culture that has dismissed God from their thoughts and they're crying out for peace, but they don't want God. Grace and peace operate first vertically, right? We know God. Because we know his grace, we can know peace. And as we, as believers in Christ, know it vertically, then what can we do? We can live that out horizontally towards others. And that's what God calls us to do. God calls us, if you know grace, if you know peace, then you in turn are supposed to live a life of grace and peace toward others. You see, you will show grace to them because God's grace is real in your life. You will seek peace with them because God's peace floods your heart. In fact, God's word commands us to live at peace with others as much as it depends upon you. All of this is made possible because of, notice the connection here that Paul makes. Look at verse number one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you don't know grace and you don't know peace. He didn't say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in the church, to all the saints who've been baptized, to all the saints who do good things. No, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You have to be in Christ to be a partaker of his grace, to be a receiver of his peace. This is where we should find our joy finding it in Christ and Christ alone. Have you been lacking in joy recently? I know I have. Boy, you turn on the, however you get your news, you see just all the bizarre stuff going on and boy, it really saps the joy out of you. But where do we need to get our, our, our minds and our hearts realigned back with? 
the word of God. And we need to find our joy in Christ Jesus. Renew your mind in the word, revisit the gospel. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.